You're listening to the Soakin' Community Podcast. Your favorite source for gaming, film, and internet debate starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Soakin' Podcast. I'm your host, Sil, and with me are Jace and Leo. Um, you don't sound like tea. I feel like I'm being bamboozled. Oh, this is Drayson, Jace Drayson. The boys are back in town. Uh, it's, uh, it's Leo. Hello. Yeah, so sadly this week we had to fire T, uh, because she couldn't pronounce a bunch of names. Don't say such things. People <laughs> believe it. I'm this totally the, kidding. This is the post-truth era, and anything we say becomes truth for some people. That is, that is a factual statement. Now, T's power went out, sadly, so she wasn't able to join us, but that's okay, because I'm here. I'm producing and hosting. Yeesh. What do they call that? A sausage fest? I've heard that before. So, you guys are obviously big ESO players. I play it a, a little bit here and there. How do you guys feel about Microsoft buying out ZeniMax? Ah, I bet Leo's going to hate it because he doesn't like conglomerates. <laughs> but that is exactly I right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I really don't. I don't feel good about it. I don't feel bad about it. I have zero emotion whatsoever. As long as it doesn't screw up the game, I'm like, whatever. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm actually kind of torn. On on the one hand, I'm hoping the stability of Microsoft will um, kind of put Bethesda slash Zenimax um, back onto the path of just making good games and good content because they've they've seemed a little cash grabby lately. On the other hand, I I really dislike companies getting uh, so big and so influential. Um, and Microsoft, I mean, they did that a while back, but they're only continuing to consolidate properties and, I don't know, power in a weird way. But nope, I don't like it. It's like that um, that people-eating plant in um, the musical that, you know, he said, Feed me, Seymour. Little, Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors, yes. I love that. I love that film. I love that musical. Actually, I've never been in that musical, and I've always wanted to, and I... I think I'll look for a casting. It's a good one. JC would make I, a fantastic Seymour. I would love to be Seymour. Suddenly Seymour. Rick Moranis was in the, the movie version, right? He did. Yeah, he that's did. Man, that was so good. Today we'll be going big and talking about Mandalorian Season 2, Olivia Wilde's secret Marvel movie, and Hogwarts Legacy. Woohoo! On September 15th, Disney's Star Wars YouTube channel dropped its trailer, finally, for Mandalorian Season 2. Let's just dive into this. The premise of this season sees the Mandalorian attempting to bring Baby Yoda back to his own kind, which he believes must be done by finding a Jedi. How do you think the return of Force user characters like the confirmed live-action Ahsoka will change the dynamic of the show? I think it has the potential to make it a little bit more make it much larger in scope um you know right now the mandalorian has been his journey his you know unique situation seeing you know finally getting baby yoda kind of expanded things a bit like oh who's you know are we going to figure out a little bit more about this particular race 
And then I think, of course, naturally, uh, adding to that, the Jedi or the uh, uh, the Jedi Order or just individual Jedi, um, that certainly has the potential to to bring us into more of a galaxy-spanning perspective, which um, I think shows like this kind of have to do. Um, while I like the small scale um, and I like the non-force user in a world with space wizards, um, in order to keep it fresh and interesting, I do think you have to up the stakes, and I think this is a good way to do it. Yeah, and every show does that. You'll you start with a minor villain one season one, season two the big bad gets a little bigger. Season three it's usually like a world changing. Season four you're dealing with universal. So it's, that's just kind of what they do. Upping the stakes is it's how people make TV matter more as as a series linger on. I for one am incredibly excited about it. I love Force users, obviously. Um, I love Yoda, and I'm hoping we find out more about his race. George Lucas was very specific about keeping Yoda's race mysterious. And um, the one thing I'm a little, I don't know, I don't want to say hesitant, but curious, and maybe curious in a negative way, is where the hell was Ahsoka during the original trilogy stuff? Like, if she's been around, if she's still alive, why wasn't she involved at all? Maybe she was. Maybe we'll get a reason. I'm sure they'll delve a little bit into her backstory but it is strange that just in universe that she's gonna pop up to help baby yoda and the mando but she wasn't around to help luke how come <laughs> i mean i think that's just the unfortunate circumstance of those movies being made first and ahsoka being such a uh crowd favorite but i mean i don't know i don't think it's hard to write some some little thing like oh she fell in a cave she was stuck there for for five years <laughs> like, well and frankly they could fix it we could get a some you know comic book canon comic book that shows ahsoka and luke meeting and really kind of explain it away in a way that feels good but it's to me i'm like huh that's true there is some time skipped even in the in the uh, original trilogy like when when Luke comes back as like, now all of a sudden he's a Jedi master. Um, like there was quite a bit of time skipped. That could have been a good way for them to hang out. Ooh, they, they should make a movie of that and use Sebastian Stan as Luke Skywalker because he looks just like Mark Hamill. Oh, I could be a millionaire. <laughs> I agree with that wholeheartedly. Also, I love Sebastian Stan so much. Yeah, who doesn't? God. I believe the... I don't, I don't think it's confirmed, but I believe the uh, assumed uh, theory for where Ahsoka's been is uh, she and Sabine have been out in the corners of the galaxy looking for Ezra, who went missing at the end of Rebels. Speaking of which, do you think this show will actually show us the fates of other Rebels characters besides Ahsoka? Because, like I said, she and Sabine left to find Ezra, and we do see in the trailer Sasha Banks, who some people are speculating is playing an older Sabine. Could be, could be. Um, I think that, you know, the Darksaber played a pretty prominent role in Rebels, and we saw, we got to see a glimpse of the Darksaber at the end of Season 1 Mando. So it's not it's not without precedent, besides the fact that um, Sabine, if I'm not mistaken, wielded the, uh, the Darksaber for a little while. She briefly did, and she ended up giving it to Bo-Katan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Um, 
as as cool as it would be to see some of these heroic characters to come in as cameos i'm also really interested in seeing some of these villains um come back and and play a part um uh, for instance uh i have learned about grand admiral thrawn through the course of these podcasts <laughs> and and i've done quite a bit of research on him and he pops up tangentially in just about everything we tend to talk about i want to see this dude in a show i, I want to see him represented and i want to see interacting with him because he he's an awesome character yeah and the chiss race just in general is really cool i would love to see them live action and i mean with a prominent character live action and nobody better than thrawn i was an original thrawn like pre-disney fan of thrawn where he was more of a but played a, a larger role in the aftermath of return of the jedi in the in the novels and the what they call legends now i suppose he was a creation of timothy zahn and very well written like a very well book villain character where you actually could see his point of view and he was just fascinating they they repurposed him for rebels and brought the character out of mothballs and, and plugged him into canon i guess technically they could both still be canon but not really um <clears throat> So yeah, it'd be really cool if they did tie him in in some way, uh, you know, post-Jedi. I, I like when it's not a mustache-twirling villain. And Thrawn did not come across that way to me. Um, if, if, the, if they're evil and they're, you know, they're plotting and scheming and blah, ah, ah. Like, eh, I get bored of that kind of villain. It's, it's the villain that uh, you can almost agree with them. Like those are compelling stories to me, and he's 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 definitely that. Catherine Ann Sackoff is playing the legendary Mandalorian Bo Katan in this season, but we didn't see Moff Gideon. Uh, we know that the previous wielder of the dark saber will be shown, and though we didn't get a look at its new owner, Giancarlo Esposito is going to play a role in this season. How big of a threat do you think he's going to become to Mando going forward? I think. I was actually kind of surprised we didn't see Moff Gideon in the, in the trailer for season two um, because of the finale of season yeah. one. Um, like he's clearly set up to be, if not the main antagonist, at least a constant thorn in the Mandalorian side. Um, or who knows, maybe maybe he does a, you know, a, a 180 and saves the Mandalorian in some surprise. But I, I think he's going to have some kind of prominent role. Um, I just can't, I can't imagine they would set that up and not pay it off in season yeah. two. Agreed. I love Katie Sackoff. Um, I have for a really long time, Battlestar Galactica was just really life-changing for me in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think she's the perfect casting for Bogotan, And I, I know that she's no longer partners with Carl Urban, but I kind of have a hope that because she's involved with the project, they can pull Carl Urban in to have some type of role. Huge fan of his as well. But um, no, I, I agree completely with what, what Leo said. Because she wielded the, the Darksaber and he has it, and we know she's cast, certainly there's got to be some type of connection there. I mean, there, it would just be... a com They would be completely remiss if they didn't add some sort of narrative that connected all those dots. And this is set, um, isn't there 
a civil war going on on Mandalore or post that civil war? Isn't that the like the the time frame we're in here? In I Mandalore? think that right now there's a like a diaspora of Mandalorians. They're just kind of scattered. So perhaps the aftermath of that civil war? The civil um, war was like rebels era. Oh, so one piece of it. Okay. Okay. Um, but I, I think that there's, we were talking actually, um, last night, uh, uh, among some of us soaking nerds and we were talking about just the, the kind of absence of Mandalorian lore, uh, cause we were just talking about it across the, the, the various games that we play. Uh, and that's, you know, when, when talking about, you know, what are you looking for in the lore of, of an RP guild? Um, well, you have to have some kind of foundational material. And unfortunately, the Mandalorians, there's just not a lot. And I'm really, really hoping that they fill a lot of that in with, uh, with, with what we're going to learn um, here, with, uh, here with the show, particularly with, you know, all this new information we're learning. I mean, there was a huge kind of lore drop for the first season of Mandalorian. This is the way. So we see Mando and the child go to several locations that look like they might be from the movies or other series and connected to the Jedi. An ice planet that could be Ilum, a moon gas giant, a moon to a gas giant that could be Yavin 4, and a canyon on Tatooine that might just be where old Ben Kenobi was hiding out. There's also speculation going around that Mando might be going to Lothal, Ezra's home planet. What kind of Jedi secrets do you think these possible locations will unravel? So, uh, I want to go first because there's only there's only one thing I know, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm hoping that there's a little bit about um, Obi Wan that that we might learn because uh, I I learned there's there's a lady in his life or there was a lady in his life. Um, and the old, um, thou shalt not love, um, uh, dogma of the, of the Jedi was forsaken by, uh, Master Kenobi. And who knows, maybe we'll find, uh, we'll, we'll find some camp of Obi-Wan's on Tat Tatooine that has, uh, I don't know, a, a diary of the old man, um, or a picture of his lady love. Um, I think that would be interesting. I don't know if, like, the Mandalorian seems, or it implies, he doesn't really know anything about the Jedi, which is kind of weird, um, given they played such a crucial role um, in the Rebellion just, like, five years prior to the setting of the show. But um, this, what do they call it? A race of space sorcerers? Or, no, not, not space sorcerers. A race of sorcerers? Whatever they call them. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think the Mandalorian would appreciate that, but I'm certain the fans would. It is worth noting that the love interest you're referring to, Satine Kreese, was actually the sister of Bo-Katan. Ooh. Um, it, th there is precedent in, I believe, Legends, Star Wars Legends, where certain races have affinity towards the Force. So it would be really cool and make a lot of sense if the Yoda race if we ever get to know a name of them, are a race of beings who have an automatic connection to the Force, some type of connection to the Force. It would be even cooler 
in my opinion. And I would like them to sort of do this. If, if one of the Jedi secrets is um, that they're the race who started the Jedi Order, or at least were the earliest of Force users who, you know, expanded that out into the galaxy. A lot of what we know about Jedi is legends, and they are clearly rewriting it. What with what we got from um, the latest trilogy, the that island planet where uh, Luke was hiding out was supposedly the birthplace of the Jedi. Well, we didn't know anything about that before those movies, so now they've got to fill in some of those gaps. Um, who lived there? What what kind of folks were they? Were they the Yodas? We don't know. Um, could be, maybe. I don't. I probably doubt it. One thing I'm, you know, back to the question. I'm not super excited about is, I, I love Star Wars. I love the classic locales. I do kind of want to see a few other planets, <laughs> and I like it that they give us that fan service that just whets the appetite. But I don't want them to just make that the whole series. Now we're on Yavin. Now we're on Tatooine. Now let's go to Hoth. Like we get it. But there's got to be other planets in the damn galaxy that that they could that they could check out. It feels a little too servicey when they when they do it like that. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, I I like the occasional throwback. Like we saw the speeders um, in the in the trailer. Um, that was cool. But don't like don't put speeders in every episode. Like just have them be that throwback and then show us some new stuff which the mandalorian so far done a good job of doing um i'm still holding out hope too that the new 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 trilogy um gets retconned it's some kind of weird space (laughs) bubble of time that never actually i don't think that's gonna happen i think that they're pretty well committed to it sadly let's close out with the elephant in the room there are rumors circling that Pedro Pascal may be leaving the show. Do you think Mandalorian can capture the same essence of the character if they recast him, or do you think they're more likely to kill him off if this does happen? Uh, I love Pedro Pascal. I hope that these rumors are not true. I hope that he continues in the role. Um, but honestly, there have been a lot of recastings in the life of many, many shows, and we all just get over it. Um, we're, I'm looking at you, Rhodey in the mcu it just happens and we all know that we can suspend i mean one of my i don't want to say favorites but a show that i really really liked a whole lot was spartacus and they recast the main title role of spartacus you know after i believe season one or season two and we all bought it we all went along and i still enjoyed the show it can happen and be successful yeah i'm frankly uh, if if the rumors are true what i've heard from from pedro pascal's perspective it's i don't know it's a silly perspective um he wants more face time and you are playing the mandalorian (laughs) like the the dude who's known for his or for never taking his his helmet off come on man like i i get it you're an actor your face is your moneymaker literally um so you you do have to have that camera time but I think this is actually, um, as far as recastings go, they're a reality, they happen. This one is in the unique position of it affecting the show even less than normal. Because yeah, sure. you don't have to see the guy ever again. And it'll still Just, be good. Yeah, find a voice that sounds sort of like him. You're good to go. Totes.
Well, Pedro Pascal or not, Mandalorian Season 2 is dropping on the 30th of October, and we will most certainly be doing a spoiler talk on the next season of the podcast once all the episodes have aired. If you are interested in Mandalorian RP, head over to SokinGaming.org and look for our Eternal Crusade Mandalorian Guild in Sotor. Back in August, Deadline reported that Olivia Wilde, actress, occasional director, and novelist, was being brought into Sony to direct a female-centered Marvel film. Based on the fact it was connected to Sony's Marvel franchise and the fact that it would be a female character, it was immediately speculated that we would soon be getting a Spider-Woman film. Wilde gave the speculation life with her retweet of the Deadline article commenting an emoji of a spider and nothing else. Wilde has, on any official record anyway, refused to comment on whether it's a Spider-Woman film. Do you think she's just contractually obligated to keep quiet to build some hype, or is Sony going a little more obscure and creating a film based around a lesser-known character like Silk? Or do you think we might all be wrong and it's actually just a Spider-Gwen film? I think Olivia Wilde is an intelligent woman and an intelligent director and knows that in order to build hype, uh, at least at this stage of the game, it is best to be coy. Um, at some point, when you actually have material to throw at people, then you can get their excitement by showing what you're actually doing. Um, but I think now, I don't know if she's necessarily contractually obligated to keep it quiet. She might be. Um, that wouldn't surprise me if she was. But I think it's just smart to, to be coy like that to put a spider emoji and nothing else i mean that's that's brilliant we're talking about it and that's the yeah, idea totally and anything surrounding marvel in this marvel drought <laughs> is gonna be pounced on and they know that everybody knows that um spider-man is huge sony wants to cash in obviously i think that you know it may be that they don't know yet it could be that they know it's going to be a spider-man related film female lead but they haven't they don't have a script in hand that's really defined you know which which hero it's going to be um they could still be deciding that the the funny thing is i believe silk has already made appearances in the mcu well not silk but the the girl who becomes silk has made appearances in the mcu just as sort of a background side character in homecoming and far from home so that kind of rules it out but not really because you know they always do some retconny or rewrite type stuff if they need to the other funky thing is first of all let me say i did not know that olivia weld was a filmmaker slash director i only know her as an actress and i've i've liked her you know since house um so this was a shocker for me that that she also directs i'm actually excited to see what she's going to throw together anyway all that said this will most likely not be an MCU film. This will most likely be that separate universe, Spider-Verse situation that's going on. Um, Tom Holland or Kevin Feige or somebody hinted at the fact that there's there might be a multiple universe situation with Spider-Man um, because of the business <laughs> separation between the two companies. And this will most likely be on the Spider-Man Sony side of things. Um, there's also some rumors that Tom Holland's going to be in a, a film with Venom and that, that that all of that will start to take place over on this other Sony-verse of of MC of of Marvel. I don't feel I don't feel in love with that because I'm such such a fan of the MCU but whatever. All that said, 
I don't think anybody knows. My personal hope is it is Spider-Woman just because that's my favorite Spider-Lady. Um, but if not that, I'd be happy with a Spider-Gwen as well. It's such a strange circumstance, the the Spider-whatever-verse. Like, it, it's so weird being in its own bubble like it is. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of everything kind of being incorporated and everything kind of like, even like giving a nod to some of the other stuff. Like, granted, the MCU is like the ultimate nod to each other because they all are intrinsically linked. But if you just have a reference and, you know, like, I don't know, that makes the movie feel so much more real to me. To have them on their own when they don't have to be just feels strange. It does, and I hate it. But the good, the only good part of it is there is such a groundwork already laid for there being multiple universes. You know, so the comic people, uh, we can wrap our head around the fact that, the, that there are. There's a Spider-Man in this universe. There's a Spider-Man in another universe. There's a Spider-Man in another. I mean, Into the Spider-Verse is the. We talked a little bit about that last week. Yeah, it's the perfect example of that. A great you can movie have too. Multiple Spider-Mans that are all still just as Spider-Man as the other, but they exist in just different universes. And I think that's. Yeah. I think they're going to go that route, but I think it's going to be based on money, not necessarily about any creative choice. Yeah, that. Unfortunately, yes, that's just the reality of it. I think Spider-Pig was my favorite. <laughs> the screenwriter Katie Silberman was the same one who wrote Booksmart, Wilde's last major directing film. Booksmart has a lot of great reviews, boasting a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes and 84% on Metacritic and a 7.2 on IMDb. Do you think the pair known for a teen comedy can match or even improve upon the energy brought to Tom Holland's Spider-Man? Tom Holland is a new Brat Pack type actor, so you know, um, I'm very fortunate to have grown up in the 80s, believe it or not, when we got that, those Brat Pack movies. Who was that director? Help me out real quick. Um, come on, Slater. I don't know. You're too old for me. All those 80s teen angst movies. Hughes. John Hughes. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense to have our, this new generation teen Rat Packy dude heading up a new teen world i mean i would love to have some of that john hughes energy in a in a spider verse film i've never seen book smart so i don't even know what that is about it looks like it's good a lot of people like it so maybe i'll check it out but i, I think it's a perfect fit just because of who tom holland is by the way he's out on a new movie on netflix and i want to watch it so so bad but it's so not him because it's like murdery and i'm not doing it to myself <laughs> It's not the Tom Holland I know and love. <laughs> no, I can't. He's this also sporting a, uh, he's sporting a southern accent in that film. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Go southern, son. I'm happy to feed you some biscuits and gravy and whatever, but listen, I don't need to see you mad and angry and killing folk. That ain't my kid. <laughs> that reminds me, like when Robin Williams played a like serial killer in, I don't remember, some movie. Anywho, way off topic. Um, I also have not seen Booksmart. However when i started looking it up it's a movie i wanted to see because it looks really funny from all the trailers and advertisements i saw for it it's it's one i regret not seeing after doing a little bit more reading into it it sounds even better than uh, the the trailers um led me to believe it would be 
Um, it's definitely one that's on my to watch list now. Um, there were a, a number of other screenwriters involved in the process for it. I'm hoping that um, they weren't, I don't know, the the magic ingredient in in tweaking Booksmart to be as good as it sounds like it was. Um, and um, honestly, you know, um, I, I think the director deserves quite a bit of credit for, um, you know, the, the success of a movie. They also deserve um, a, a fair bit of criticism if the movie doesn't do well. Um, granted, we were just talking about this um, uh, off camera earlier. Um, there are other folks involved that, you know, could be at fault, but ultimately it's the director's call. Um, who gets to do what and what actually makes the cut. Um, but um, I'm hoping uh, that that they're able to pull it off. If they can make something that looks or, or is as funny as Booksmart looks to be, they can turn that into the the charm of Spider-Man. I think that's probably a better word. Spider-Man, or not Spider-Man, Spider-Woman or Spider-Gwen, Spider-whatever. It's not a comedy, but it does have to have a certain kind of charm to it there has to be humor in it and i think um channeling the energy and humor of book smart into that's probably a good way to go wild has stated in interviews that she is looking forward to quote reframing superhero stories and infusing the genre with a female perspective end quote shame t is not here to uh discuss this question <laughs> Captain Marvel was the first female-led, exclusively female-led superhero movie in the Marvel lineup, and it had some issues, not to mention the hate it received online despite not-so-bad official reviews. Ant-Man and the Wasp had a co-leading lady and was well-received, and many fans are excited for the Black Widow film. How do you think this secret Marvel film might better reframe these stories? Uh, so you just asked a room full of dudes how to successfully reframe a secret film from a female perspective. We're in, this is T's worst nightmare and we're walking into it. <laughs> I was really hoping uh, T would be here to correct you on all your in incorrect opinions. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I honestly think it, if it's a good movie, it will do what people hope it does. That's, that's it. Make a good movie. I mean, yeah, I want it to be a good movie too. I, I, I mean, what does it mean to be a female, and what does it mean to have a perspective that is female? I don't know. I'm, I'm a dude, even though I'm, you know, I've got a little sugar in the tank, whatever. It's, it's hard for me to know what that really means. So it's great for a lady screenwriter and a lady director with a lady leading lady. To, to put that together and let us learn what that's like. Unfortunately, there is not a lot of that out there. We've got, you know, almost 30 Marvel films and <laughs> one led by a lady. Um, that's a problem. There is a representation problem in film. Everybody knows it. Um, I know that it matters for a lot of reasons. One of the coolest things that, that happened during my MCU watches was I, I went to... Um, to see Endgame with my parents and my daughter and went the you know Captain Marvel's penultimate moment when she comes back and all the guns shoot on her and she just wrecks the big old Thanos ship um, my mom who is you know a 70 plus year old woman sat forward in her seat and clapped and it, my husband 
watched her do it and after the film we were in the car ride home and he said you know that's the probably the first time in her life at 70 something years old she's ever seen a, a woman superhero come in and kick ass like that and then my daughter who was in the car with us started to cry and wipe tears from her eyes and she's like that's really really sad so i know representation matters and i know that it's important to see the things about yourself that either you're insecure about or that you have been persecuted for or that are broken inside of you perhaps to be put on a screen and even either triumphed over or celebrated or maybe even just made to be normal and we don't do enough of that and sometimes when it's done it's maybe done ham-fisted but i i'm i think it's important and i don't want us to miss the positive things that can happen from that as a gay man i have yet to have my superhero represent me on screen and you know it it does i don't want to say it's hurtful it doesn't make me feel sad and i don't think about it all day long but i'm going to be very excited and supportive when we get to see wiccan in the young avengers assuming that all unfolds and him have a relationship with hulkling um because then i will feel like my a little bit of my story my tale has made it into this current mythology and it validates my path and I, I i hope that this movie can do that for a bunch of ladies agreed i hope it can too um the the thing or i, I would say that the caution i would have is is again to to reiterate what you said too jace about like if it's ham-fisted i think it runs counter to um to any of those intentions because it develops uh the kind of reputation that um i think some of some of the efforts that have not done so well at representation um suffer from um and... i just think that's not fair to say though because we have a lot of ham-fisted guy movies the expendables there's a lot of crap out there that got that white men get to look at and say that's my thing and it's garbage but no one ever no, comes at it from that perspective and says, you know, that shouldn't have been made because that was ham-fisted. Let us make some bad movies that represent other people and not have to criticize it based on that ham-fistedness because we don't necessarily do that with the plethora of movies that get made for the majority. I think The Expendables is a prime example of that ham-fistedness giving it the negative reputation um, that I think it deserves. Um I, I agree. It's it's that kind of bad stuff that turns people off from um, I don't know even appreciating what's attempting to be accomplished um, in those works. I mean, I I agree. I, I I do think representation is a big deal. I just think, um, in in my opinion, the best way to do it, if you want it normalized, is to make it a normal part of good work. And you'll you'll see that happen. I mean, it'll be organic. Um, at least that's my preference. I could talk for about six hours about Wiccan and the Young Avengers and how they could happen in the MCU, but I will spare you of that. I'm holding out hope, and I really think that it can and will. Oh, I'm I'm very I'm very excited for the possibility. I love Wiccan so much. Same. Anyway, very little information has come out about. Uh, what exactly Olivia Wilde is making with Sony and Marvel, and it'll likely be a while before we get any official announcements with much of Marvel's schedule being pushed back. But it's probably Spider-Woman.
On September 16th, wow, the day after Mando, Warner Brothers and Portkey Games dropped a trailer for its upcoming Potter World video game, Hogwarts Legacy. The trailer shows us the Hogwarts school back in the late 1800s, and Potter fans are buzzing. This game will be the farthest back we've ever gone in the Potter lore, set before most of even the older characters are born. How do you think this is going to affect the history of Hogwarts as we know it? So, honestly, I, th I, I don't know. I think this should have been the time that the Harry Potter books were set in to begin with. Because this seems so quintessential magic and wizards and witches. Like, I kind of, I mean, the, the modern day was an interesting setting because it, it, it was designed to um, show the parallel existence between wizards and like modern day. But I don't like this one just, it has the feel of, you know, old magic. And I don't know th that I'm, I'm stoked about that. Anywho, the question um, I, I really hope it doesn't, um, really alter much when it comes to the modern history or what we know happens in the wizarding world. Um, I think setting games in the past like this kind of in a, I don't know, in the dark ages, so to speak. Um, I, I think there's potential for them to do whatever they want so long as the world can come back to the Harry Potter we understand. I don't think it's going to alter too much. I hope it doesn't. Yeah, I, that's a really good point about the 1800 situation. I and it it kind of gave a language to something I had been thinking. I just recently rewatched Sorcerer's Stone because it, I, all of the movies were on HBO Max, and I was going to watch them all. Then all of a sudden they weren't. After I watched the first one, super irritating. Anyways, it's going to come out on Peacock, I think. So I'm going to take it back up later. Anywho, I did have this moment where I thought. Why the hell are all those people dressed like that? Like once you go into the wizarding yes. world, everybody's <laughs> dressed like it's the 1800s. And and I didn't, you know, consciously think that. But I remember the moment when they go back into the wizarding world or when they're on Diagon Alley. And it's like, this looks like a whole nother period of time. And I think that was part of the shtick, I guess, at, in, the, in the universe. But it really makes a lot of sense to set the game there because it's not going to really feel all that different there wasn't a lot of it once you went out of um you know the usually the beginning and the end of the films they were in the real world once you went into hogwarts it felt like another time another place so it did with candles for light and yeah. yeah it was it was it was a strange juxtaposition 100%. So you, that's a really good point. I think that it, it's it's going to feel right at home, frankly, once you go in there. So good, good, good noticing. Um, will it affect the history? I think that it will flesh out some history, perhaps. I have under, I, I did, th this is, I didn't get to research super lots, I will confess. But I did read a little article where um, J.K. Rowling said that she wasn't necessarily involved in this. You know, she's signed off on it. I'm sure she's going to make money, blah, 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 on the royalties. But she's not necessarily writing these stories or it's just set in her universe. So I don't think they're going to have license to drastically change anything. So everything they have to do kind of has to fit within her bookends as it is. Ideally, I I mean, honestly, I hope that's the case. I'm, I'm, I'm not confident of that, but I, I hope it's so. So, myself and another Sokanite, uh, Cal, have a bet going 
the winner of the bet will be buying the game for the loser. I saw that. <laughs> so, Hi, Cal. Shout out to Cal. So why don't you guys give your opinion on what you think uh, of our bet? Will Dumbledore make a cameo as a fellow student in this game? I feel stupid. I don't even know how old Dumbledore is in the... You know, obviously he's old as dirt. He's been around a long time. In the prequel movies, he's a grown man, you know, played by Jude Law. So is he even alive at that time? I don't know. According, if he's alive. According to Google, like he, he was born. He, would. he was born in nineteen or eighteen eighty eight, I believe. And the well, setting maybe, for the game is just late eighteen hundreds. So. It's been very non specific, yes. Maybe yeah. he'll be a student at Hogwarts then. I mean it could be. I I honestly think a, a Dumbledore cameo is it's becoming a trope of Harry Potter um, or n not Harry Potter, uh, whatever, um, Rowling's Wizarding World um, productions. Dumbledore having some kind of cameo seems to be a trope now. So I don't know. I, it makes sense he would be, even though um, I know it's a question later. I'm really sad Rowling isn't involved. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping even without her involvement and or perhaps her insistence that Dumbledore have a cameo, I'm hoping that the makers of the game see that as a trope that will draw people. Can you imagine like seeing Albus as a kid? I mean, Albie. that would be, that would be awesome. It would be pretty fun. <laughs> what if he could be, well, now here's the deal though. He can't be a main character though, because then your character you're gonna create in the game would have that weird strange you know how eso has that all of our characters are really in the universe i, I don't know that they can pull that off he would, no, he would have I, to be super cameo yeah he would he would have to be a cameo for sure do you think that the game will put you through a pottermore style test and assign a house or will it give you free reign to choose your own house and going off that do you think that which house you end up in is going to affect the story that you end up playing through? It better because the house experience is part of the huge, the huge um, experience of Hogwarts. It just makes sense that whatever house you choose is going to be kind of like maybe choosing your class in another game or choosing your race, something that matters to your in an RPG game, something that matters to your playthrough. Um, I, I thought that I had read that you're going to get to choose your house that it's not necessarily going to be a test or um you know left up to chance in any way that you will get a very and i don't remember where i read this because you know it's gone from my old brain but i think that you're just going to get to decide that yeah uh, one of the reviews uh well several of the reviews <clears throat> i read and watched said the same that you you just get to choose your house which is kind of sad because i i I, I think it's the sorting hat is an experience for um, the students at Hogwarts and to not go through that with your character. Um, granted, you know, perhaps they just have the visual. I mean, they show it in the trailer. Um, maybe you pick the house and then you go and you sit there and the sorting hat picks it, but there's no mystery. Like you're not nervous about what house you're going to get. You just get whatever house you want. I think that's kind of lame. As far as the house affecting the story you play through there's a big part of me that hopes it does um but there is that cynical pragmatic part of me that thinks all it's really going to do is change 
the flags and the colors of the common room that you end up going back to in between classes or missions or tasks or or whatever you're doing um there there might potentially be you know uh something relative to your house like maybe a, a mission chain or something but i don't think it will significantly change the game because they'd have to basically make four games and i i don't see that as um, a, a realistic expectation of developers. There is nothing but speculation right now on multiplayer, but some of those speculations from within Soken are that once you finish your education in the world of wizardry, you may end up doing endgame content as a graduated adult wizard. This could be a method for multiplayer similar to Avengers or Destiny. Do you think that playstyle would be fitting? I think not only would it be fitting, it would be amazing. Um, I the the Harry Potter game is uh, it, it it's marketed and it seems to be designed as purely a single player RPG, which honestly I'm all about. I, I those are my favorite types of games. On top of that, I also like for there to be online multiplayer that carries on the life of a game it's so rarely executed well um that if it can be done here uh, it would be awesome uh there are scenes you see in the trailer of outside hogwarts um i don't know if they're you know just parts of the classes that you're taking um but i i think it would be fantastic um I, I, I don't know that that actually probably would be my favorite thing about the guild or the guild <laughs> the game um outside of you know obviously just getting to experience hogwarts getting to explore the uh the grounds um but then playing with my friends oh it'd be awesome i came away with the impression that you were that the that it wasn't just going to be a game only about Hogwarts, that there would be missions and important things happening out in the wizarding world and you'd be visiting locations and experiencing story beyond those walls. Um, it makes sense that in order to expand the longevity of a game, you would then provide DLC that continues the story of your character. I am hoping there's no multiplayer. I'm just... I'm ready for an old-fashioned sit-down-and-play-by-myself RPG where I can just experience a game and be in my own head and not have to worry about cues or connecting with other people or other people getting ahead of me or, you know, I can't play on someone else's schedule. I'm, I, I'm not a huge multiplayer fan, ironically, being that I'm a GM of an MMO, just because of the fact that connecting with people is sometimes difficult for me. I, I'm, my schedule's funky. So I really hope that it will just be a single-player RPG that, that you can button up and play by yourself. There are some great games that just kind of tacked on multiplayer. I think Lee was kind of alluding to that when he was like, you know, when it's not executed well. I think Mass Effect did that. And you've got a great single-player experience, and then you can do the multiplayer if you want. It's just kind of arena-ish, and it's, it doesn't matter. You, you could do that if you wanted to, and I, don't, I wouldn't... I wouldn't be against it. It would be dumb for me to say, no, don't put that in there. I just don't want it to matter to the game. Speaking of your distaste for multiplayer games and your desire to 
just curl up and play a single player RPG. You want to play some Marvel Avengers after we're done recording here tonight, Jason? Yes, that would be perfectly great. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I've yet to pick it up. It's super it, fun. It is it good. It's not even really my genre. Um, not It's not my genre of game or um, source material, but it's been fun. We're way off topic. Sorry. Warner Brothers has stated, like Jace mentioned earlier, that J.K. Rowling is not involved in the game at all. With recent backlash from millions on the internet on top of previously potentially problematic behavior, that was some alliteration, do you think J.K. Rowling's severe loss of popularity will hurt this game in, at all? I think what will hurt this game is how long it take, took for it to come out. I mean, we're a long time after the Harry Potter films. Granted, the second trilogy is out, and I don't know that it's garnering any new fan base or anything, but, I don't, you know, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. The fact of the matter is, I'm an old man, and I read the Potter books, I love the Potter movies, and I'm super stoked for this game, so maybe I'm stupid. But it's just a strange time to release a Harry Potter game of this magnitude when it's not in the middle of the hype. Like, the hype has done past. It's over, for the most part. J.K. Rowling's, I mean, come on, she was a waitress that got talented, creative human being, don't get me wrong, but she got lucky on a publishing deal and her great ideas just took off. So I don't feel it's necessary to hold her to some standard of being a hero when she is just a person who wrote some creative stuff that we all really like a whole lot. Blasphemer. It's just, I know, I, I'm not. I'm not in that vein of canceling people when they screw up and yeah she says some silly dumb things but i say silly dumb things too and i hope that people can bear with me i bear with you jk you hear me send me some cash <laughs> i mean i don't know i i, I don't want to get into the politics of of the of the thing um i really dislike that jk rowling's not involved um granted i, I think i share your opinion chase that she's she's a creative human who lucked into a great publishing deal the same can be said of um uh, george lucas like a very creative dude but he's got some failings um same same as jk same as any of us um cancel culture is you know i'm not a huge fan of it and i, I frankly i don't think it's going to affect this game because i don't know the the whole cancel culture idea usually <laughs> well no, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get into it the point is that her absence in this means that the um, the linchpin for all of the Wizarding World's lore, knowledge, um, stories is absent. And that concerns me the same way that Lucas not being involved in Star Wars stuff concerns me. They don't necessarily need to be, you know, the decider for everything. But they should be at least a consultant, um, and I, I dislike it when they're not. I think there is a argument to be made for uh, dedicated fans being able to carry a franchise just as well as its original creators. Like we've talked a lot about uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni and their work with Star Wars, but that's an, uh, uh, a discussion for another time, maybe. Much like many properties being announced over the course of quarantine, there is no officially slated release date for Legacy just yet, but it is stated that it will be flying off the shelves like wands at Ollivanders in 2021. Oh, I see what you we, did na there. we named our dog, Ollie, after Ollivander. 
That's a great dog name. If I got a wand, I think it would have a unicorn hair. I want it. a phoenix feather in mine. I want a dragon pubic hair. <laughs> it's tea time which is very thematic after talking about the late uh, 19th century england for the last segment real shame uh, there's no actual tea hmm sail time doesn't have the same ring to it maybe come up with some other all- alliteration the sill segment Oh, that's good. Look at that. Turn off the top. <laughs> Still speaks. That's not bad. I'm just going to keep calling it tea time, though. <laughs> so because we talked about Harry Potter, naturally, we're doing something a little different for tea time today. Uh, we all took the Pottermore sorting hat quiz to find out which Hogwarts house we belong to. So what did you guys get? I got Ravenclaw. Ravenclaws are known for their wisdom, cleverness, and wit. So... And I tried to take the test blind, like I wasn't trying to get any certain, like if you know a little bit about Harry Potter, you can gear it towards a house you may want. I tried to just think, no, blank slate, what's my real true answer? And I came up as a Ravenclaw. And here's fun, something interesting that I learned, I did not know this, that Raven Ravenclaw roughly corresponds to the element of air. When we talked about the Benders and uh, Avatar, I chose air as my element that I would choose. Look at this. Do you see this thematic thing happening in my life? Oh my god. It's all real. Magic is real. <laughs> That's funny because I would have definitely pegged you as a Hufflepuff. Is that some kind of gay hating? I, I think Puff is, yeah. <laughs> there's something there. <laughs> I don't know what, but you should be offended, Chase. I mean, if that were the case, we'd both be Hufflepuffs, and I'm definitely not. I got Ravenclaw as well. Um, and I did the same thing, Jace. I was going through and I was like, no, no, no. Just answer like how I'm thinking about this right now. Like there was a question about what instrument is most pleasing to your ear. And I was like, hmm. And I went through, I was like, what's the least loud instrument? Cause I, I'm not, I don't like loud noises. And I was like, piano, too loud. Drum, obviously too loud. Violin, eh, I don't know. And then trumpet was like whoa way too loud and so i went back to violin and i kind of did that with with all of them and ravenclaw i figure um i attributed it to uh my arrogance uh <laughs> that's why this fits because it's wit learning and wisdom and i was like yeah that's, that's the stuff i'm proud of about myself <laughs> it does make sense well, another trait is acceptance, though. Nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Syl? Oh, anyone that knows me will not be shocked to find out that I'm a Slytherin. For real? Yeah. You're I've actually, kidding. fun story, over the course of the last few years, I've taken this test three times total. Um, the first time I took it, I did it like you guys said, just kind of going blind, and I got Slytherin. The second time I did it, uh, my girlfriend Amanda and I actually uh, did the test for each other based on what we think we would answer. Still ended up with Slytherin. And then recently I did it again, uh, not remembering any of the answers or any of that, and basically tried to do it blind again, and still Slytherin. So I know by the books and um, 
but then but of course by extension the movies slytherin's painted as the house of villains but certainly the description of the house wasn't that way what what was the like what were the redeeming qualities of slytherin if, if i remember correctly the redeeming the defining qualities of slytherin are ambition and cunning which kind of makes sense for why all the villains come from slytherin because they have some darker ambitions but they are you know willing to follow those ambitions yeah would you say those fit for me yeah i think so ambition resourcefulness fraternity determination leadership self-preservation and lineage where are you getting this chase um pottermore wiki oh you're cheating (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i don't i honestly don't know that that much even though i love harry potter i i don't have all of it in my head like other things i do think with all those deeper connections slytherin does make sense but even even not just the uh face value as like the bad guys of of the potter world yeah i'm a slytherin i love their colors yeah me too what is it is it green and silver or green and gold green Green and and silver they're very cool yeah i like those colors too what's ravenclaw blue and gold I think... Sorry, I was yawning. I don't know why I, <laughs> I see a lot of blue. I think blue, blue and, and bronze. Blue and bronze. Look here. Here's here are notable Ravenclaws. Professor Trelawney. You remember the crazy lady? <laughs> yeah, crazy Einstein. <laughs> hey, though, here. She was yeah. the real deal. <laughs> Luna I Lovegood, mean... the crazy chick. Yep. Oh, Luna's awesome, <laughs> awesome. though. <laughs> See, at least you you can relate to the crazy characters. Notable Slytherins, it's just like 1,800 different bad guys. <laughs> right? It's, <laughs> it's Tom Riddle. <laughs> yeah, Tom Riddle, Snape. I mean, Snape's cool, though. I liked Snape. His story was, was heartbreakingly tragic. Yeah, for sure. Professor Quirrell was a Ravenclaw, though, and he, he won't know winner. Gilderoy Lockhart <laughs> was a Ravenclaw. <laughs> Uh, Cho Chang. Uh, let's uh, let's just remember that Cedric Diggory was a uh, was a Hufflepuff, so we're all missing out. Hmm. I mean, pursue your dreams, lads. <laughs> okay, man. I'm all about ambition. I'll do it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if you'd like to submit a tea time question for the podcast, head over to SokinGaming.org/SokinMedia to find the submission bar on the right hand side of the page. Thank you for joining us on this magical, mystical, spider-tastic episode of the Soken Podcast. For more Soken Media, visit us at SokenGaming.org slash SokenMedia, follow our Twitter, at SokenGaming, and subscribe to our YouTube, Soken Gaming Community, and look for future episodes of the podcast on Google Podcasts and iTunes. Until next time, I've been Sil. Me, Jace. <laughs> I've been Leo. And we'll see you next week. Stay classy, Silken. Thank you for listening to the Silken Community Podcast. Craving more? Visit us on Twitter and YouTube at Silken Gaming, as well as our website, www.silkengaming.com. Until next time, stay classy. Right, Jace?